Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Title Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, coming to you from Cat Swamp Road. And we're getting a little bit of much-needed rain today. So uh, it stops me from being out in the field and doing that work, but that's fine, right? Because you have to, uh, we need the rain. As I always say, and like every farmer says, we are never satisfied. We want it to be sunny when it's raining, raining when it's sunny, but we do need the rain and I am so far behind on my plantings and my farm work, it is not even funny. So uh, part of it is the weather's fault, but a good part of it is me. So uh, just uh, doing too many different things and uh, being a one-man band here on the farm, it's uh, it's very, very hard, and it's not. I'm not. I'm not using it as an excuse. It's very hard to uh, farm by yourself. And uh, I do have the two young men that help me pick corn, but I don't even know if I'll have them this year because they have gotten older and gone on to uh, other bigger and better ventures, which I do not blame them. I like when people do that, but it leaves you in a lurch. And uh, that's fine because they need to move on with their life. But as far as the actual farming is concerned not the harvesting i'm a one-man band so uh you know when my dad was alive i always tell my wife my dad had me and then i had my friend gene who was a listener and my friend glenn who was not a listener i believe <coughs> and uh we uh, met in high school and we were wonderful the three of us were wonderful friends and uh, I was very friendly with both of them, and they were friendly with each other, but uh, I was friendlier with each one of them than they were with each other, if that makes sense. So uh, they were probably more acquaintances uh, than true friends, but they, we were both, but all three of us were, I was, a tr- uh, Gene and I were true friends, and Glenn and I, Glenn and I were true friends. But... Uh, I, like I said, my father had me, and then if we needed somebody else, I'd call up Gene or call up Glenn, and they'd come or call up both of them and say, hey, can you, can you come over? we got to do some stuff. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'll be there, whatever. So it made a world, world of difference. And uh, so I am behind this year. <clears throat> that is not my intent. But historically, the sweet corn that we plant, or I plant, <laughs> I slash we plant is uh, a real prima donna. I've said this before, a very, very, very finicky, finicky uh, uh, hybrid. And historically, my first plantings, when I get them in earlier than I normally do, do not yield well. So uh, my the aggregate of my first planting dates over the years have been around May 25th, which should be this week. But uh, I have a couple of times where I got it in earlier, and uh, it really didn't materialize. <clears throat> it didn't like, um, it was very digital, the weather, which is the same thing we're having this year. Maybe that's the norm here in Warren County. One year, we did not. But uh, it was, it was, it was a, uh, I shouldn't say proper, it was the, uh, it was a good temperature for corn growing, and that was my that was beginner's luck in 2016. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I got my no-till planter, so uh, I had four and, four, and, four corn come up in uh, four and a quarter days. But uh, 
historically corn does not like to be digital start stop so when you have 90 degree weather and then 37 degree weather and 90 85 degree weather and then 40 degree weather it doesn't like it it's like a like a car jerking uh and bucking and it never seems to and this hybrid really doesn't seem to uh, have any tolerance for that whatsoever whereas my later plantings those are the ones that seem to be in the sweet spot where it has it's like goldilocks everything happens to be just right and that's when it yields but the uh you know it's, it's funny how in life everything is a double-sided sword before i went to no-till we used to do two plantings so we did one field and we planted the entire field and then what would happen is that we wait about two weeks or so depending upon when excuse me how quick our germination and emergence was and then we would plant the second field and that would be in and you know we planted all one time and now then we would start to harvest it then we'd go from the one field to the other but the problem that we had was that it, it made much less work as far as um, for me is concerned but uh it because we had both i mean basically i planted for two days not even two days all right uh, collectively if you know let's say well, let's say a day the first for the first field and the day for the second field and it was all done but when we went to no-till what i wanted to do was spread out our plantings so that i have more uniformity in far as my harvest is concerned because what would happen is when we would have the, the whole field come in i mean it's not a huge field but it's a lot of corn in there and it all came in, and then a lot of it went to waste because we could not market it quickly enough and that's one thing about corn it's not like apples or onions or carrots is that you have a very small window of opportunity to get that product marketed and it's uh it's it's like you know almost like a bakery where you uh, you only have so much time to sell that bread or those rolls or a cake before it goes stale so that was a problem for our profitability with that end of it and when i went to no-till i said well this is fantastic then i could do multiple multiple eight to ten different plantings well that means i'm in the field eight to ten different times so it is not like you were in there just one time and plant and come back two weeks later plant the other field and goodbye so uh it's literally let's say if i do 10 plantings which i never gotten i think i got 10 once since i had no till but usually about nine plantings but we'll say 10 for easy arithmetic is that and if i uh had two plantings before then i have five times the amount of work so which you know it's funny because when you look at something in life and you don't you don't realize that uh, maybe you realize it but you don't recognize it so uh, i guess there's a difference between realizing something and recognizing it for what it is worth so it actually our farm became 10 times the work for me than it was when i was younger and then i'm also by myself so like i said it sounds like i'm complaining but i'm not but that was something that i did not realize when i was so excited about this new uh yes can i still do the same thing can i go with the no-till planter and plant everything of course i can but that kind of defeats the purpose of spreading out our harvest i mean if we were selling to a large processor or something which actually they would want that where you go and you say no no we want we want all of this at one in, in in two days then that is fine but when you're doing fresh market sweet corn like we are then the fact of the matter is is that you have to spread out your your planting dates so that you could have 
you could spread out your harvest dates and be able to be in business for longer than a couple of days. So that basically is that. But uh, that segue is going to end up being a segue into, I'll give you a heads up, what we're going to be discussing today is specific gravity and specifically, specifically, specific gravity. I didn't realize I was saying that. Specific, specific gravity of fuel. And that's something people really don't talk about. So uh, I'm gonna we're gonna get into that, and then we're gonna also convert that over into specific gravity for like an agricultural sprayer of your tank mix partners. And talking about that, I made two trips down to uh, Maryland this week since I've been with you last to pick up my fertility program, and I uh, have to make one more trip. But Ben said he's going to try to deliver it for me, uh, which would be wonderful as far as that is concerned. But I do have to get together with him on that because I have to make sure that the tote he uses, that my my adapter fits on, I'm going to call it the spigot, the outlet of the tote, because if my adapter doesn't fit on the outlet of the tote, then I will not be able to pump that product off into my tote from his truck. So then he'd be running all the way up here from Maryland. So I have to get that get that worked out with him so that our adapters and I then my hose fits his adapter. Because if it doesn't like I say, if the adapter doesn't fit, it's like you know, having a three quarter inch socket when you need a thirteen sixteenths. It's a, it's a valiant effort, but uh, uh, no star here, right? No uh, you accomplish nothing but ride up and down. But I went back and forth as i told you i was going to do with my ranger i love that truck i thank my i got a lot i have a lot of history with that truck and it was my first new pickup truck and it's all it's well to me it's not old it's a 2020 2022 it's not a 20 it's a 20 i mean 2002 boy you know you're getting old when you're messing up the years like that and uh i ordered it right after 9 11 from Hackettstown Ford, which no longer exists. And uh, I a special ordered it, and it's Harvest Gold, and it's the base XL, and it was made in New Jersey, and that plant no longer exists also, which is sad. I've toured that plant a couple of times in Edison, New Jersey, and uh, it was made there. And uh, it's the base XL, and it has only two options on it. It's a four-cylinder, so it's the 2.3-liter four-cylinder five-speed manual, and it has a Ford a factory-installed bed liner, so it has the Ford, Ford logo on it, came right from the factory with that, and it has the sliding rear window, and that is it. There's no other options. Four-cylinder, five-speed, no air conditioning. But actually, when they wrote up the order, they put on a big bin magic marker, no AC, because they don't want me to say, oh, where's the air conditioner? It's basically a farm truck, and I love that truck. It's been a fantastic truck. Uh, doesn't have that much mileage on it, because uh, I, I, you know, like anything, when you get something new, you use it a lot in the beginning. And my, when I bought that, my writing career, that aspect of my life was very, very dynamic. I was very blessed with that. And I used to travel a lot. And I used it a couple of times. I used to go to Michigan uh, once a eh, maybe almost once, probably once a month, or maybe once every six weeks or something. And I took it once to Michigan and for over the digital fuel injection in Wixom, which is what their facility was right across the road. Well, it was across the road and down a couple of blocks from the Lincoln assembly plant. 
the Wixom assembly plant, which no longer ex- sadly no longer exists also. So everything I'm talking to you about no longer exists. And uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Well, maybe that is a good segue into this. But, uh, and it was, it, it's a great little truck. I love it. I love it. But it was an awkward truck for me to, like when I went to Michigan, it was fine. It was summertime. And, uh, or I think maybe it was all, maybe fall, but whatever. No, they think it was summer when I took it to Michigan. But, you know, because it's just a regular cab, if I'm by myself, it's fine. I could put, because if I'd go on a business trip like that, it would be just an overnight bag. I'd be there two nights and the third night I'd be home. Uh, but if I had to carry anything more than that, it was too small and too awkward to do it. And I used to have my escort set up 100% for business travel. So I had everything I needed in there. All I had to do was get my body in there, turn the key, and go. So I had everything I needed. And when you change vehicles like that, it gets to be very, very awkward. Uh, And then it was fine in the summertime. Charlotte and I actually took that truck out to uh, Nebraska and into Wyoming. And uh, like I said, in the summertime, it was fine. And But in the wintertime, obviously, with two-wheel drive and no storage space, that it was, you know, for two of us, for Charlotte and I, during the summer, it was fantastic. I put uh, two uh, big plastic bins in the back, and I put my tools in there and locked it up. I put a chain around it, and we would put our clothes back there. So because the two of us in the cab, there's no place to put anything. When I, if, if you're going for business, it's fine. You could put an overnight bag there, but I couldn't put it overnight. couldn't put the luggage there. So, But we had a wonderful time. And with that sliding rear window and with the, with the, with the windows down and the sliding rear window, it was beautiful because we were running all two-lane roads. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. And you smell the corn. And if, if you're a farmer... And you raise corn, you know what I'm talking about when you smell the corn after when it's going just about going into tassel or into tassel. And it was a wonderful trip. But uh, like I say, when you, if you have coats and you have sweatshirts and you have this and you that, too, too small for two people. But that is that. So I, uh, the Ranger doesn't have much mileage on it. It has about 160,000 miles on it. So, But it's been a great truck and it's a great, uh, it's never not done what I've asked it to do. And so I run back and forth to Maryland to get my fertility in 275-gallon totes, but I can't carry. I could carry my planter, my two-by-two planter mix in one load, but my broadcast fertilizer I can't carry in one load because it's just just shy of 4,000 pounds total, but I'm doing the math as far as the specific gravity is concerned. Hint, hint, that's what our show is about today. Uh, specific gravity with the weight so i can't carry four thousand pounds in that ranger uh so the thing is that i end up splitting the load and putting about half just under two thousand pounds and go back again and get another half and then get the planter mix excuse me uh so so that's basically i split it for the simple reason being you know, can a truck carry a little bit more than that? Yes, it can, but what's the use? If I'm going to go back twice, I might as well split the load instead of but instead of putting, you know, more of weight one time and then, uh, then less weight the second time. And because of the distance, it's 200, well, I thought it was 245. I think it's a little bit less. I think it's 237 or something, but uh, maybe it's, I guess upon the way I go, but anyway, say 240 miles each way, so it's 480 miles, 
And I'll tell you one thing, it is a lousy, and I've told you this before, a lousy trip uh, going down there from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, down to Bel Air, Maryland, actually, S-U-C-K-S, terrible, terrible. And I had a heck of a time the other day, the traffic, and on, on usually, I'll take eight, Interstate 80 out to 81, 81 from I-80 down to uh, to Harrisburg is, is I love it, beautiful. Uh, it's very hilly, uh, it's ru- very rural, but it's more mountainous trees type of rural. You see some farms, so it's not really, it's not a good cropland there, cropland as far as its topography is concerned. But it's, oh, I've been going that way for many, many years, and it's always empty. And then when you get by Harrisburg down to Maryland through York, that's a nightmare. But the other day when I went on the second trip down, uh, the road was so busy. Oh my God, it was like an exodus. I don't know where the people were coming from and they were going like maniacs. And then I, I can't believe it, but I was, so that's another reason why I want to keep it under 2,000 pounds in the back of the truck because you're going 240 miles, 245 miles, and and you have a lot of maniacs on the road. And that is not a, uh, well, I say it's not a straight run. A lot of that is, it's it's just, if I was going out I-80, it would be, it'd be more or less a straight run this has got a lot of tight curves and just it's a lot of a lot of entrances and exits and mer- people merging onto you so it's really and uh it's really not a uh, a fun ride especially when you're carrying liquid f- in the back of the truck and it's sloshing all around that little truck takes it but still it's sloshing all around so if you were to have to make a real panic maneuver then the thing that truck only weighs just about three thousand pounds empty uh, with me in it i should say three thousand pounds because i waited a number of times and so if you're putting two thousand pounds in the back then you actually have uh more than 50 percent of additional mass sloshing around back there and you know if you have the tote with more liquid in it it doesn't slosh around as much and it's a lot more stable but the truck is very stable but anyway i had this i'm on i-81 coming north out of harrisburg and uh the phone rings and i don't have any bluetooth in there and it's my wife so i said all right fine when i get to the rest area i'll stop and then she you know, then goes you know, makes a little bit makes a sound that you know she left the voicemail my sister says okay and then a couple of minutes later she calls again and that's usually i was signaled that there's something urgent all right if it's not urgent and but if you call back again within a couple of minutes and i know that it's urgent and the thing is that i said oh god so uh what happened now but thank god nothing was she thought the first phone call didn't go through but uh so anyway so now my my heart is racing because uh, i'm not laughing because you know i don't know what's did something happened to to one of the cats did something good happen did did donald come home i mean i i have no idea but uh and then when i so i pulled over to the side of the road and then i went to go and off of i-81 and the shoulder is i mean the shoulder is is good uh but it's not extra wide and uh, there was a uh, a little berm there an earthen berm so i really didn't want to feel like pulling the truck up on the earthen berm with the weight in the back i don't think it would have tipped over but uh, i just didn't think that that would be prudent 
And because I got these two phone calls back to back, I didn't want to wait. There was going to be a rest area 10 miles up the road, but I didn't want to wait for that. That's the problem with these cell phones today. In olden times, you would have just waited and you said, okay, let me get there. I'll call somebody. We wouldn't even know what they called, but now you get all this, whatever. So what happens, I pull onto this, this the shoulder and uh, it was absolutely, it was absolutely nothing. Thank God. She thought the first phone call and go through because her phone said something crazy on it. And then, so she wanted to call back again. So it was absolutely, it was, it was absolutely nothing. I think she said she was going to the gym or something. So, all right, but I'm on the side of the shoulder, right? I'm in the range. I got the flashes on. I swear to God Now you have to remember I've driven fast and the race cars, drag racing, my friend Gene and I, we ran in the Silver State Classic. He drove, but we went very, very, very high, uh, better part of close to 200 miles an hour, all right? So so I'm not a mamby-pamby when it comes to this stuff. But there was so much traffic, and the traffic was whizzing by me so fast and because the shoulder wasn't wide and so many semis, you know, years ago, the truck drivers, for the most part, 99% of the truck drivers were very professional and respectful. I knew how to drive and knew the rules of the road and uh, just just very professional. And the car people, right, the, on the CB, they call them four-wheelers. They would be the ones that, yeah, yeah, some of them were jerks and some of them didn't know what they were doing. Some of them were good. But I would have to honestly say from my travels the past couple of years that the majority of truck drivers are just as bad or worse than the four-wheelers. So they're whizzing by me, I swear to God, that they must be doing close to 90 miles an hour. I don't think they're two inches away, eh, maybe that's an exaggeration, six inches away from taking the mirror off my truck right on the driver's side. <clears throat> Excuse me, and... uh they're whizzing, whizzing by. I mean, un, I mean, uh, like I said, you would think it was that, that there was a nuclear explosion, I guess, in, in Harrisburg, and there were people getting out of getting out of Dodge. So anyway, so fine. Now I'm gonna I'm wait uh, to, to merge back on. All right, I have my flashes on, waiting, looking in my mirror for a clean shot. And uh, to me, I don't care how long I have to wait; it's got to be safe and that's it so i saw that there was a that there was a, a slight break there was a break in traffic there was nobody in the right lane uh there was oh, excuse me there was a truck coming up but far far away in the right lane all right there was uh in the left lane there was in somebody else co- coming not when i was pulling on right pulling it, it, it had it, it was clean so uh it's okay fine this that semi's far away let me let me get onto the highway then i wound that i merged on i rode on his shoulder till i got to about 40 45 and then merged on i got the thing matted right i'm banging he is right up i mean this chip comes in at I think like sixty two hundred on that four cylinder, so I'm banging gears like it's six thousand RPM. I'm wringing this little Ranger's neck out. I'm coming. I'm now mind you at sixty five mile an hour speed limit. I'm doing. I'm up now. Accelerating. I'm, I'm accelerating. I'm at sixty two. All right. Um. Um. And sixty two and climbing. Okay. Right. Well, <clears throat> that semi that I saw was belonged to ABF, Arkansas Best Freight, and was hauling doubles. That guy must have been, I swear to God, he must have been going 90 miles an hour. In all my years, I've never had this happen. 
I never had this happen. I've driven about 10 years ago, I calculated I had driven over like 1.2 million miles, a rough, a rough estimate. And so that was 10 years ago. So say a million miles, right? This guy's going 90 miles an hour, better part of 90 miles. I bet you whatever the speed, they, they should limit those trucks to 70. But <laughs> this guy with the, I'm, I'm now I'm doing about 64 and a 65. He comes up on me and passes me with pulling doubles on the shoulder. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he passed me that a professional driver is going to actually go nine, eight, whatever, 90 miles an hour, 85 miles an hour on the shoulder. And I'm saying he was doing close to 90, if not 90, because the way he just pulled on me, and I'm going 66 now, all right? And I'm looking, where the hell did he go? He's on the shoulder passing me. Thank God there was no road gators there, tire debris or something that would throw it right up at me. Unbelievable. I mean, it's actually unnerved. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm, I say, where, where, where did this guy go? Boom, he passed me on the shoulder. Crazy. Arkansas best freight. Unbelievable. So that was basically <laughs> that. Was basically that. But uh, the roads, especially back east here, the roads are just terrible. I mean, terrible. And uh, these people, uh, the car people, the truck drivers, people pulling uh, camper trailers, and, like, and I'm, I'm very sure, and I'm not saying it condescendingly, that 95% of those people cannot handle a vehicle at that speed, let alone a big vehicle, let alone pulling a trailer. A guy with a new Explorer pulling a, there wasn't an Airstream, but it was a nice nice trailer, fairly, um, I, would, I would say basically new, a couple of years old, if even that, all right? And uh, big trailer, uh tandem axle travel trailer or maybe it was a triple axle all right so it's a big unit right this guy must have been doing close to 100 miles an hour with it and that i don't know what what the what the rush is with the society today with the people they go like maniacs all over the place and i cannot believe that they're all emerson fittipaldi race car drivers i mean you're going that speed you blow a tire i mean going going out that that morning uh, I never had this happen either. On Route 80 in Pennsylvania, about hundred, eh, about 60 miles out from the farm, a herd of four deer came across, the, and it was really like 8, 8.30, in the, 8 o'clock in the morning, a herd of four deer. Thank, if I was not, go, if I had the load in my bed, I would not have been able to scrub enough speed off to not hit them. And, uh, and these people going 100 miles an hour, and they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and it's just amazing that the roads are not littered with dead bodies, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm the hot rod farmer. I mean, so, I mean, it's not I mean, totally, totally, totally irresponsible. So now that I vented, all right, and uh, the thing is that I know I got to stop doing that to you guys because here it is a half hour into the show and I'm complaining about it. Every week I'm complaining about something, right? I guess that, <laughs> that's what it is when you get old. But what we're going to talk about today is specific gravity. And uh, it's the specific gravity of specific, specifically, as I said, gasoline. We're going to talk about gasoline. And that's something that a lot of people don't talk about, or no one talks about. They talk about octane. Uh, they, they complain or talk about the... Uh, the amount of ethanol in the gasoline 
But one of the things that really comes down to is the specific gravity of the gasoline is just as important as other as other aspects of it. And you know, getting back to my trip uh, in Ravine, Pennsylvania, R A V I in Ravine, Pennsylvania, I stopped and bought gas and filled up the Ranger. It was an Exxon station. And I was heading back to the farm, so I was loaded, but I have enough data on this truck. I know what it does, loaded or unloaded. And the gasoline that I bought must have, not must have, had a very low energy density. He said, well, how do you know that, Rod? Well, my truck sucked fuel. And that's an empirical, that's a seat-of-the-pants thing that you could tell and most people you read, you listen to AAA, you say, oh, the, the way you drive, of course that has something to do with it. The way you drive, the weather conditions, yeah, that has something to do with it. But what a lot of people don't talk, or no one talks about, is the energy density of the gasoline and how it affects your fuel economy. So since I've done this trip so many times with that truck and with the same weight in it, and uh, I know how oh, you're bucking ahead when you're doing this, you're doing that, or oh, whatever. It's very cold, and cold weather affects fuel economy because the rolling resistance is greater and the air resistance is greater. People don't realize that that when it's cold, that the air is denser, it's thicker, and that's going to fall into what we're saying, and that increases the increases the aerodynamic resistance. But this truck was sucking fuel. <laughs> sucking fuel once i put this x and that's nothing to do with exxon but it, once i put that fuel in, sucking fuel and then so on the next trip i said i'm not buying fuel there because i got low density fuel and i bought it in another place maybe uh, well 80 miles prior to that with this one was in happened to be in maryland i filled up and it was high density fuel high energy density fuel because with the load going the same route the same weather conditions everything right uh within spitting distance right no wind the temperature was in five or six degrees of one another all right same exact route like on a railroad track right and uh, substantially substantially better fuel economy and i'm sure we've all experienced that and <clears throat> keep in mind that when you are using a vehicle or a farm piece of farm equipment, whatever, and uh, even though you have a low density fuel, the engine is more or less going to make the same power. And so let's say take my little Ranger. I think it has 145 horse, uh, maybe I don't remember, I think 135 horsepower. So let's say I'm pulling a grade with my load of liquid fertilizer in the back and because it's very hilly there in Pennsylvania, and let's say arguably I'm making up a number, that the engine needs 75, needs to make 75 horsepower for my truck, given the conditions to uh, the weather conditions, whatever, the road conditions, what have you, to pull this grade at 65 miles per hour. All right, that's 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 going to be a fact. That's a mathematical. It's resistance. It's weight. It's it's, it's uh, the incline. It's all of that put together. That's not going to change unless the wind changes, or the aerodynamics changes because of the temperature. But so let's say it needs to make seventy-five horsepower, and it makes a hundred fifty horsepower engine freeze your arithmetic, but it's not a little bit less. And the thing is that if you have low density fuel, you're still going to make the seventy-five horsepower to go up that hill that that's not going to change it's not going to you're not going to go up the hill 20 miles an hour because of that 
but what's going to happen is that unbeknownst to you, all right, if you were to read the throttle angle, if you were to, and you could through a scanner read the TPS voltage, read the throttle angle, and look at the injector pulse width, in this particular instance, because it's a fuel-injected engine, you're going to, you would be able to see very clearly that you have more throttle to climb that hill than you would have had with better fuel in it, meaning better, meaning higher, higher energy density, and then you would also have um, a shorter pulse width, and that's why the fuel economy goes away. So if you look at those two metrics, <clears throat> but empirically, you could know by your gas gauge. Now, if I was going someplace and say, oh, now I'm, fi- I'm, I'm, I'm really fighting a headwind or what have you, so the thing is, that's a different story. But if the things, if, if everything more or less being equal, that your fuel economy and the operative words are being equal, all right your fuel economy all right didn't get caught in traffic for an hour didn't sit in idle and right all the things all right keep that in mind don't discount that all right and you get worse fuel economy then that usually is energy density in the gasoline so it is now if you were on the drag strip with the vehicle all right you'd say well hey i'm running two tenths slower three tenths slower and everything else is the same it's got to be the gas but at an, on a drag strip, you're using maximum power. So if that engine makes 135 horsepower, all right, then maybe with the gas you have, it's only making 129. But if we're pulling that hill and it only needs 75, if it's only making 129, you still have 75, but you have longer injector pulse width and more throttle opening. That doesn't mean it's to the floor. Let's say it was 65% with good gas throttle opening and it's 72%. Now, you're not going to be able to tell that with your foot all right so unless you were to look at look at the scan data and look at the throttle angle and the throttle opening all right so hopefully that makes sense but what we wanted this what i want to discuss today is specific gravity of the fuel and how it impacts engines and we're going to talk about gasoline all right the same thing is going to happen with diesel fuel all right but the numbers that i have here is we're going to represent gasoline and then we're going to talk about farm sprayer tank mixes as we close, and then I'll let you go. So, all right, so what is specific gravity, all right? We heard that term in school, maybe in high school or in college, and a basic definition of specific gravity is the density of a substance, and we're dealing with a liquid, also I'll say a density of a liquid, when compared to a standard when we look at anything in the world all right everything is a god created the world in in six days and rested on the seventh day i am a 24 <clears throat> I'm, I'm a six day 24 hour day creationist all right the thing is that everything else the metrics that we've used that mankind has used society has used is all created by man right because so we determine that a day is 24 hours we determine that there's 365 days in a year and leap years 366 so we've determined all of that and we this and we designed that a mile is 5280 feet all right so that uh that a, a yard is three feet that's a kilogram is so much so we so we put all these measuring these metrics all right and we've created that and that's wonderful we needed that you needed some standard 
to go by. Some some so we you know with in the in the uh, English system, right? Thirty two degrees is is freezing Fahrenheit, and in and in Celsius zero degrees. All right. So the thing is that so so we everything is a created standard that we that we that we measure by. So what has happened with specific gravity when dealing with a liquid that we or society has decided the world has decided to use the standard measure of the weight of water all right so now you could put some more you could skew to some more say well if you got a lot of a lot of iron in your water maybe it weighs more and i don't really know how they determine this or whether they took an aggregate or they just assigned the number and it's, it's okay we're going to use this number and that's basically it's close enough we're not going to go around and measure everybody's water and weigh it all right so the thing is that so water is considered to be 8.325 pounds per gallon so when there's a specific gravity of one that means so if you had let's say uh whatever this gasoline we'll use a gasoline for instance all right and we have a specific gravity of one that means a gallon of that gasoline or that liquid i'll say is probably a better way for me to say it weighs 8.325 pounds so that is a specific gravity of one and what cat is here oh ali is here so uh so uh hopefully she doesn't jump on the podcast and she's going to jump up on the rafters no no ali go 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 down ali thank you so uh <clears throat> so that is uh so it's based i'm sorry i lost my uh i lost my uh, thoughts here is based upon one so now let's say arguably that there's a fuel a gasoline and this happens to be a sunoco gasoline because i found that number of race gas and it weighs 5.95 pounds per gallon so how do you calculate the specific gravity it's not magic all right it's not magic so it's it's uh 5.95 divided by 8.325 which is water so that comes up with a specific gravity of 0.715 so so 0.715 so that means so let's say 0.750 all right we'll round it high for easy arithmetic so a gallon of this particular gasoline is about three quarters as heavy as a gallon of water so we're always using a metric of so with specific gravity and any liquid we're using water all right so and in in the english system it's going to be in pounds all right so that's that's where we're at with that so now what's going to happen is we need to realize and it's not as clear cut because things that aspect of it is a very clear cut so as the specific gravity goes closer to one that means that liquid weighs closer to what water weighs for a gallon and if it's if it goes lower than one then that liquid is lighter by that value of uh than a gallon of water so now what happens is that for the most part gasoline today in the united states and probably canada has a specific gravity of between 0.72 and 0.77 that's what the industry standard is so we're going to see we have some variation there all right 0.72 to 0.77 is that enough to make my my range of suck gas at that particular point well who knows but that's the range it usually is at 
All right. And the thing is now in the areas where I live, in the area where I live and where I was traveling, we also have E10. So now ethanol has pure ethanol supposedly has a specific gravity of 0.79. So ethanol is heavier than than rate than, than E0. So what makes it complicated is that we have a gasoline range of 0.7, so that's E0, 0.72 to 0.77. Now, you may find that the gas that came out of the refinery that day was not 0.72, may have been 0.69. And let's say that the ethanol the ethanol content um, is at 11% instead of 10%, or what have you. And nobody also wants to talk about how constant the ethanol or how 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 accurate the ethanol content i shouldn't say accurate how constant all right that the ethanol specific gravity is how much of a range is there in ethanol specific gravity nobody wants to talk about that i've tried to get it from ethanol refiners i've tried to get everything so these are aggregate numbers the same thing is with gasoline it's an aggregate number so let's say arguably that you happen to get from the refinery an E0 because the ethanol is blended in afterwards, an E0 gasoline means zero ethanol, pure gasoline, and it was 0.68, 0.69, specific gravity. Well, what's going to happen is that you are going to get much less fuel economy because there's less energy content. So now let's say arguably that you have this 0.68, 0.69 specific gravity E0, and they put ethanol in, all right? That's at 0.8 instead of 0.79. And instead of point, uh, and, 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 so I lost my thought because Ali just jumped. Uh, so we're putting it, so instead of 10% ethanol, they put 11% in, all right? Because all this is supposed to be, you know, I'm not saying anybody is crooked or anybody's doing anything wrong, but it's it's life. There's variables, just like when you go across a field. There's variables in the soil, in the soil texture, soil fertility, right? So they put. So now we have a we have a load of gasoline that's on the the low specific gravity side, and now we add ethanol into it. That is a little that it's at eleven percent and a little bit more dense, right? So now, if we were to check that fuel with a hydrometer, which is I have a fuel test kit, uh, if we were to check that fuel, that fuel may come in at inst- 0.78. So you would say to yourself, "Oh man, this is really good gas, right?" Because look, I'm 0.78. All right, this E10 is 0.78, but that is a that number is skewed because it has 11% ethanol, and the ethanol was a little higher than the standard, a little heavier than the standard. So now, so what has happened is that the true indicator, empirically, for somebody like you and I, is how does the how is the fuel usage on an engine to determine the amount of energy content because ethanol has less energy content than gasoline and then also what will happen is that the lighter the fuel right we'll talk about the e0 all right that the lighter the fuel it has less heating value 
So the heating value of the fuel increases with density, but that is under the assumption that we're getting the density from the same uh, the same chemical composition. So we're getting a density from the uh, E0, from the gasoline, not from the ethanol. Ethanol is heavier than gasoline. So you put this together, you can't go nuts over it, all right? You put it together, but you could say with confidence, with 100% confidence given, I'm going to repeat it, given that all the other variables are, are close enough, it's not, the weather hasn't changed much, your driving hasn't changed much, nothing has changed much, the wind hasn't changed, the topography, the traffic, what have you. So if you're starting, if you're using more gas on that tank full, then you basically have no to yourself that you got a load of low density fuel, all right? So now, that's all you could say was it the why was it low low density because it came the e0 and even if you live in an area where there's no ethanol it's just e0 and it came out of a refinery at 0.67 <clears throat> instead of 0.72 who knows right maybe it's even worse than that and the thing is that and what it is was it 0.72 and they put more ethanol was the ethanol? who knows but the thing is that the fact that matters as start to say if you're in, in just an e0 territory is that your variation in fuel economy is going to be based upon the the specific gravity of the fuel but once you add a component into the gasoline like ethanol not against ethanol whatsoever love ethanol all right but the fact of the matter is is that you really don't know the specific gravity if you were to measure with a hydrometer is not going to tell the full story the the specific gravity will tell the full story all right if the gasoline has is pure meaning e0 no other component so now if we look at e85 the standard that that the industry says for whatever it's worth is 0.81 the specific gravity so that is heavier much heavier so you figure if it's 0.72 to 0.81 0.82 almost a tenth of a point heavier than e0 so you'd so but based upon oh man this thing's got a lot of energy but it doesn't it, it's got its weight it's got its weight from from the ethanol the higher ethanol content doesn't mean it's bad it doesn't mean it's bad at all but it got its weight from a higher ethanol content all right so that is something that come into that comes into play now keep in mind that's specifically with carburetor equipped engines all right and i don't care whether it's a chainsaw or whether it's an old grain truck or your hot rod or your antique car what have you is that the function of the carburetor is based upon the specific the, the function meaning the performance of the carburetor i shouldn't say function it's going to function the same on a pressure differential is based a hundred percent on the specific gravity of the fuel so when they design a carburetor and they design the float level and design the passages in the carburetor it's based upon a certain specific gravity an industry standard of specific gravity so now if you go also and take that one step further and let's say you have a two-stroke engine and you have um, a, a 40 to 1 mix two-stroke let's say uh, like my uh, cub cadet weed whacker and then i have uh, a couple of 50 to 1 or 250 to 1 mixed steel i have a steel chainsaw and a steel blower leaf blower whatever you want to call it what was meowing over here 
All right, so the thing is that a uh, leaf blower, well, you're going to have a different specific gravity. So if I go to the Shell station and buy the same fuel and then put the 40 to 1 mix and then the 50 to 1 mix, there's going to be two different specific gravities of the fuel with the oil in it. And so from so basically, in essence, now the industry says more or less that a 50, 50 to 1, like my steel, all right, Right, but I'm not saying which oil this is. This is just you know pie in the sky. Fifty to one has a specific gravity of 0.8618. But what basic? What is the ease? What is the gasoline specific gravity? Well, if the gasoline specific gravity was on the high side, then and you added the same amount of oil, so. What I'm trying to say is that the carburetor's performance is going to be very keyed to the specific gravity of the gasoline and the carburetor, both on a chainsaw. Or an, and 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 uh, I'm not going to go round robin with this again um, with the ethanol and the gasoline. And people have had you know whatever. Look, you live by your experiences, and I've personally had no bad experience with ethanol in gasoline with small engines other people have and i respect that and i honor that because that's all you got to do is you go by your experiences <clears throat> but keep in mind that if you buy this bottled e-zero fuel all right that this whatever can fuel it's 40 dollars a gallon <clears throat> for your small engines a lot of people had great luck with it but that probably hopefully has a much more I don't want to say accurate, constant, specific gravity because if you go to the same station all the time, all right, with your gallon jug for your chainsaw, and you get your same oil, like I for my, I either use Cub Cadet oil, or my, I have two different gas cans, and I use steel oil for my steel. And then why do I do that? Because I don't know what else they put in the oil. Maybe the same guy is making it. I have no idea, but I don't know that. It doesn't cost me any more to do it, and I don't know the specific gravity of the oil. But if you go to the same gas station and you buy the premium gas, all right, and and they probably want the premium gas because they want that specific gravity of the premium gas. People think it's the octane, and I tend to think it's more the specific gravity, maybe a little bit with the higher octane. But anyway, specific gravity, and you go to this, I go to the Shell station here, and I get it, and I fill it up, and beautiful, everything runs fine. Then I have this mix. I run out of gas. I go back to the Shell station. I put my chainsaw, put my steel oil in it, 50 to one mix get a gallon beautiful and now he got a load of different specific gravity gas then that carburetor is going to function differently now on a small engine like a chainsaw they don't have a float but if you have some larger engines and not two stroke four stroke like on my lawn tractor it's got a carburetor with a float on it now what you're going to find is that the uh the density of the fuel is going to impact the float all right so the float is going to be higher so the float is going to ride up higher with denser fuel than it will ride up with 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 less dense fuel so what the float is so basically in essence the float is so with the same amount of fuel in the float bowl it's going to be higher when the float is higher it's mean it's going to shut off 
the flow, right? Then it would be with less dense fuel. So you put this all into play, and you say to yourself, "Oh my God, in heaven, you know, it's a, I'm going to go nuts after this podcast because everything is a moving target." Well, it is a moving target within a certain rate, certain range, and a certain reason. Uh, reason being that this is just like going through a field. You go through a field, and every every corn stalk, every soybean, every tomato plant, whatever you happen to be growing, is not exactly a hundred percent the same. Your ideal is to have all your plants produce more or less as close to the same as possible. Well, the same thing is going to happen with fuel and specific gravity, and that's why. And what has happened is that the industry, all right meaning the fuel industry and the engine manufacturers industry, whether it's the car, usually the car, I would say the car industry, SAE, because they're the largest market, have come to say, look, we don't, we can't have fuel all over the map. We got it, we, we're gonna, we understand there's going to be some variation, but we got to tighten up this variation because I can't have fuel that's point, point 0.7 specific gravity, point 0.6, the next load is point, point 0.9 and what have you. And so they have standards. But within that standards, there's wiggle room. And that is why car manufacturers, when they do their emissions testing, and when they do, uh, well, first of all, when they do their actual emissions testing, the gas, the lean that they're using is probably about, it used to be 40 or $50 a gallon, right? So it's probably $100 or $120 a gallon now. Right, they're not going to the local to the local Seven Eleven and filling up to do emissions testing. That it's got the same components as street gasoline, but it's it's it it's made to I'm going to say like medical medical standards. All right, medical specifications. And that's the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying is that it's made to the highest standard. Then it's a test fuel, and then what they do is they and then when they do on the road testing then what they what the car companies will do is that they'll buy fuel by the tanker load and they'll have a big fuel tank there on their and in in, in order sometimes have almost like a gas station like the american car manufacturers at their facilities have a, a have a, like a gas station there with the with the pumps and then uh for the test on road the test vehicles and then when i worked for bmw doing calibration evaluation we had a 5,000-gallon above-ground steel tank with a pump on it. So we would buy gasoline. So they buy gasoline by the tanker loads, all right? And then what they do is they check that gasoline for specific gravity, for octane, for oxygenates, for everything. And then we didn't do that at that level at BMW, but the OE Detroit does that at their test grounds. And then, then the next step for the vehicle is to go out on the road, do on-the-road testing. They drive them cross-country, uh, the Ford Chrysler General Motors, they drive them cross country, all different. And they pull up to a pump just like you do and they buy gas at Joe's Joe's gas. They buy gas over here in the next place whenever they need it. And that's the final dolling up or tuning up of the calibration. But you you need to understand that that your fuel economy, and I'm not saying your engine's performance because you're not putting it under on a dynamometer if you put it in a dynamometer you would see that it's down on power all right with lower density fuel all right but and if um but if you're just driving it normally even if you're towing a trailer towing a load all right as long as you don't have to make 100 percent power with that engine 
anything below that like i gave you the example of my ranger anything below that if it's making 120 today instead of 130 because of the fuel and i need 75 horsepower to climb the hill with the with the total liquid fertilizer in the back it's still going to be able to make that but what's going to happen is the injector is going to need to be open longer all right and there's going to need to be more throttle angle to achieve that now on a carburetor application what's going to happen is that the fuel the weight of the fuel the specific gravity is going to impact how the carburetor transitions into the main metering circuit because it actually has to lift that fuel up inside the carburetor so it has to lift it up through passages so there's a lot of dynamics here that go on i don't want to belabor you with that with both fuel injection and carburetors all right on fuel injectors specifically if you have a dirty injector all right the thing is that you're not going to atomize the fuel properly so the, the droplets that are going to be coming out are going to be heavier or lighter depending upon what the fuel is or if the fuel is heavier so all of this comes into play and that's why i'm such a big proponent on gasoline and diesel engines keep the injectors clean keep the valves clean because those are things that you can control you cannot control the specific gravity of the fuel that you're buying cannot all right so i said i'm not buying fuel from that exxon station the next day right my two days they went back i'll buy fuel from that exxon station again because all it means is that the low he's not a bad guy <laughs> he wasn't chipping me the load of fuel he got happened to be low density low energy density and probably was very low on specific gravity all right but the specific gravity test may have lied if you looked at it because it could have had more ethanol in it so like i said nobody's a bad guy here but you will see over time that you may find where a certain supplier is getting their fuel from someplace and it's historically usually on today it's not the case it's usually catch catch can <clears throat> sometimes it's better sometimes it's worse better or worse meaning that it's heavier or lighter all right so uh but the heating value is going to change based upon the specific gravity and then again based upon the specific gravity all right or how they're achieving the weight of the fuel and the third thing which i discussed because i want to go there with octane all right is that the chemicals that they use whether they use iso octane or something else to raise the octane to make it a higher octane fuel so you go to the same pump there's 97 and there's regular uh, 97 87 and there's 92 and 93 well they took that 87 and they dosed it with something to improve the octane and lots of times the octane improver steals the specific lightens up the fuel so the thing basically is that i'll leave it at that all right <clears throat> steal some of the energy content from it now for example let's talk about farm sprayers now i have a very simplistic farm sprayer all right but if you have a, a if you have a a, a a not a mickey mouse one like i have right i mean it's a good brand but it doesn't have all the controls on it so if you have a either a self-propelled farm sprayer or you have a sprayer that is um that is a pull behind but has a whole bunch of controls like raven is a company that makes controls and then on a farm sprayer which is a lot akin to a fuel injector on a car 
is that you have nozzles, tips, whatever you want to call them, and they're rated whereas a, a fuel injector in the English system, American system, is rated either in pounds per hour of fuel, all right, a farm sprayer, that, that and there's different color tips, so I have dark blue tips. So the industry standards, if I see a dark blue tip, the blue tip that that's caliber that's more or less designed for 30 gallons per acre but then again what happens is that the the pressure that you have operating pressure is going to if the operating pressure is higher than what the flow flow that that the nozzle was tested at which is an industry standard then you can do more than 30 gallons and if it's less so if let's say arguably 30 30 like the old arcos duntov cam 30,000 inch uh, 30 30 cam right so the thing is that what you would do is that is is if the uh, pressure went above 30 pounds then that nozzle or tip would flow more. If it was below 30 pounds, the nozzle or tip would be flowing less. But you also have to recognize on a farm sprayer that the nozzles, the tips, are based upon the flow rate at a specified pressure, flow rate of water. So the specific gravity of water and the surface tension of water. Surface tension is how, I don't want to say clingy, but the friction of the liquid going through the orifice. So the thing is, and the other thing I want to tell you is that specific gravity is impacted by temperature. So usually the industry standard for gasoline is to read the specific gravity at 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So there's all different standards. That's why you have to look at it and see, because if the temperature is different, if it's colder, it's going to be heavier. It's going to be denser if it's hotter than 68. And then there's a chart that you take your readings. I have a, I have the the hydrometer with a barrette, and, and I have a chart from, and I bought mine from Kinsler. It's in, in a beautiful wooden box. And you look at the temperature. You take the temperature to gasoline in this particular instance, and you say, okay, fine, I'm at 72. You get your reading, and then you look at the conversion chart and say okay because the industry standard for gasoline is 68 degrees fahrenheit uh or it used to be at 68 degrees i'm sure it still basically is but now for instance so getting back to the farm sprayer so i have a dark blue tips on my sprayer which is supposed to be 30 gallons per 30 gallons per acre not our 30 gallons per acre and i think at around 30 pounds of pressure don't hold me to it all right the thing is that now there's a nitrogen product that i just went to go get all right so it's 30 gallons on water what's the weight of water the specific gravity of water is one all right but the weight of water is is calculated at 8.325 pounds per gallon that's the standard that the industry uses all right that the world uses all right is my water heavier than possibly maybe it's a little bit lighter possibly who knows but that's we have to have some sort of standard just like 24 hours in the clock, right? We have to have some sort of standard. Otherwise, we'll go nuts. We won't know what's going on. So now, this nitrogen product that I picked up that I'm going to broadcast, all right, is the specific gravity. If you, when you buy fertilizer, it says to you, with different chemicals, it tells you what the specific gravity is because you're going to have to calculate for this in theory, which a lot of people don't all right and i'll get into that so the specific gravity of this of this nitrogen i'm using is 1.309 pounds per gallon so let's say 1.3 
So that's 30% heavier than water, right? right? Because if it was one specific gravity was one, that would be equal to 8 point, 8 point, what is it, 3, uh, 8.325. So we're 1.309, so say 1.3, so we're 30% higher than water. So this this product is about 11 pounds, I think I did the math, was 10.91 pounds per gallon, all right? So now my tip on my sprayer is 30 gallons per acre, but with 8.3 pounds water. So I would actually need to use a 39 gallon per acre tip if I want to keep the pressure at 30 pounds to, to get to get the proper rate of 30 gallons per acre because my specific gravity of what I am spraying is higher. So I need a bigger tip, all right, because of that to get the same amount of coverage, 30 gallons per acre, because I'm 30% heavier than water. And then on a, uh, I'll say a professional, on a, on a sprayer that has that has controls on it what they will basically do is that they'll punch in what they want and they have a flow meter and the flow meter is supposed to uh, whatever all right whatever the flow meter is supposed to so so if you tell so if you tell it if you tell it the specific gravity is this all right 1.309 and you want 30 gallons breaker it'll control the pressure and if it's a duty cycle a duty cycle to give you that but 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 and you know and and spraying a farm field is not the same as fueling an engine correct i that there's a lot more leeway in spraying the farm field but you know when i do my math on my sprayer which has no controls it's old-fashioned it's not old it's old-fashioned all right like my ranger has crank windows it's old-fashioned and i do the math that I'm not putting enough product down because when I get done, I always have some gallons left over. I said, what am I doing? I'm not doing this right, or I did the math wrong, or did the field shrink, or what have you. No, because I need to run. Now, on my particular instance, there's not a 39-gallon. I could buy a 40-gallon tip, all right? Or I could do the math and say, instead of running 30 pounds, and I'm I'm making up the, uh, the number, I could run 40 pounds of pressure, all right? And now get my 30 gallons per acre based upon this nitrogen product with higher specific gravity but what happens you know there's such a correlation between a farm sprayer and a fuel injector or a farm sprayer and a carburetor from with surface tension specific gravity and weight of the of the liquid we'll just say it's the liquid but the thing is that if you have a couple of tank mix partners then if you don't check the specific gravity of that tank mix, so if I have this nitrogen, I have something else in it, I have another product in it, right, and they have all different specific gravities, if I'm spraying nothing but this nitrogen, then yeah, that's very simple. I need a 39-gallon 39, 39 per hour, uh, I'm going to say inject a nozzle to get 30 gallons at 30 pounds per acre, 30 gallons per acre, all right? But if I have two or three now i put some bore on them they put this in put that in or i put some other components in with that tank mix if i don't have if i don't check that tank mix all right check that tank mix and then 
go and then and then make my adjustments either in pressure or tip size or you know and i'm probably going to do something on the radio show specifically for agricultural sprayers a specific gravity but you know you could go into your controller so you could have your five hundred thousand dollar sprayer six and that that they're they're that much money all right self-propelled sprayer go into your controller and say okay i got this this and that and it's looking at a flow meter and if that flow meter has is skewing or not 100 percent accurate you have to do you have to be able to to do your own specific gravity test if you want to get it dead nuts on but one of the things about being a uh, i'm not going to say a professional but being being intimate with something is that you don't need to get that dead nuts on with a application of a product in the field but if you're doing testing and you're a research farm then you do need to get dead nuts on or much closer than you're doing and you have to be able to determine the specific gravity of what you're spraying so as i put closure to this all right and i said that i was going to say something at the end but i didn't remember what that was but keep in mind it's very very simple to understand it's not that all you need to recognize is that the specific gravity of the fuel that you're buying whether it's specifically gasoline but diesel fuel also or it is going to vary all right on gasoline that that that's enhanced with ethanol is that the specific gravity is a wonderful indicator but it's not going to be a true indicator because ethanol is heavier than gasoline and there's no constant with the fuel that it's being mixed with so if you happen to let's say arguably we don't have e15 in in uh new jersey or around here so let's say arguably i bought a tank of e0 that was on very very low on the scale below the, the acceptable level of level of specific gravity let's say 0.68 instead of 0.72 right and then i bought a tank of e15 all right all right we'll say e15 or e20 all right and the base gasoline was instead of points of 0.77 was 0.78 and then with the ethanol all right with the ethanol it only brought it, it got heavier but remember it doesn't have the same the same energy btu value so it kind of skews it but the net result is converting you can't physically convert this math in your mind or mathematically but i conceivably could have had a fuel in my tank that has more BTU of heating value with the higher level of ethanol because the base fuel that was mixed that it was mixed with was a higher density base fuel. So the thing is that, and that is why when racing fuels with racing cars, racing engines of all different types, the the, the race fuel. So like if you use VP, Sunoco, Cam, a rocket brand fuel, that well, it's a what's called a boutique fuel, all right, has different chemical components in it, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that they print the specific gravity and they make it very, very tight tolerances. So when you buy a racing fuel, all right, and you have your motor, your engine tuned, whether it's fuel injected, a carburetor, whatever, 
for this fuel, then you don't have to worry about the float level changing, the pullover, the carburetor function changing, because that fuel is going to be the same specific gravity on every load that is made. Whereas when you're buying pump gas, you're buying pump diesel fuel, you're all over the map. And hopefully that there's a range that it's within the range that's mandated. But even within that range that's mandated, you're going to skew. And the fact of the matter is the reality of it is just like the guy passed me on the shoulder, we'll say 90 miles per hour, Arkansas best freight. So if anybody's listening, a safety officer from ABF, Arkansas best freight, with doubles on the shoulder, me going 65 miles an hour, passing me on the shoulder at 90 miles an hour, 100% wrong, 100% illegal, you're at times going to get fuel that is below the legal specific gravity slash energy density, all right? That's a fact of life, all right? So what you should learn to do is to watch your fuel economy, all right, to a certain, you don't have to go be paranoid, but if you know you normally go a, 120 miles on a on a quarter of a tank let's say with the type of normal driving you do then the fact of the matter is when you're going 80 miles or 70 miles then you say i got low specific gravity fuel repeating it with all else low energy density i should say with all else being more or less equal if you went 150 miles on the quarter of a tank and you normally go 120 then you got high energy density fuel don't cry over it it's not if you can if you constantly go and get lower fuel economy from a certain station all right then whatever that brand is doing or wherever they're sourcing it from is getting a lot of low energy density fuel all right but now we've closed the whole loop if you have a 40 to 1 two-stroke engine and you put 50 to 1 uh gasoline and oil mix all right then that is going to have a different specific gravity that carburetor in theory is going to respond a little bit differently is it going to be within commercial uh, acceptable terms of course it's going to be all right of course it's going to be but you have to keep in mind that the specific gravity of liquids are going to impact their functionality how they work and specifically when it comes to an engine gasoline or diesel and it comes to a farm sprayer all right on a farm sprayer it's going to be more or less your application rate how many gallons per acre you want to put in and you can't you cannot always on a farm sprayer just crank the pressure up to come or crank the pressure down to make up for a specific gravity because and and the droplet size which would be akin to the droplet size coming out of a fuel injector but the droplet size coming out of the tip on a farm sprayer is critical to the efficacy of the product being applied some products you want a larger coarser droplet some products you want a finer droplet depending if it's a foliar feeding program depending if it's a ground application program so depending upon what the actual chemical is so if you're spraying let's say like dicamba then you're worried about vaporization and you're worried about it drifting and what have you then the droplet size so when you look at anything you're spraying it's going to tell you coarse droplet fine droplet large droplet small droplet so that is why you there's so many different nozzles and tips 
but the thing is that this that droplet size is going to be based upon the specific gravity and because there's so many different agricultural chemicals agricultural products the specific gravity and the flow rate and the droplet size is based on water all right so like i said you're not going to go crazy but you know as we as we as we understand this and hopefully this show made you understand it a little bit better then it makes sense to you and when it makes sense to you you're in you're in 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 harmony with something you understand what is happening and you don't go chasing ghosts so listen i want to thank you so much for tuning in and i want you at the hot rod farmer's poem for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved america you have a blessed week and if you have any questions please reach out to me hot rod farmers farm machinery digest.com thank you god bless bye-bye